All right, let's remain standing for the word today. How many is ready to get into the word of God? We're excited about all the graduates and all that God's doing around here at Grace Point. A lot of folks advancing today, amen? Uh, today we're just entitling this new clothes for Lazarus. How many knows that Lazarus needed some new clothes when he came out of the tomb? And uh, this is a tremendous uh, story, passage in scripture. And uh, I'm not going to be able to take the time to read all of it. Some of you are probably very familiar with uh, the story of the raising of Lazarus is found in John chapter 11. I'm just going to pick out two verses, and you'll see later on why I'm going to pick those two out. In, in uh, John 11, verses 35 and 36. John 35 uh, of chapter 11 is the shortest verse in the Bible. Just two words, Jesus wept. And um, that is an amazing occurrence that he would do that. And uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But then it says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So, you know, this is Grace Point Church, and when you begin to see God's love, God's grace, uh, you begin to see it in every place in the Bible. Uh, you see it in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, and you don't have to look hard to find it. And so that's what we want to look at today is this story and how that it represents uh, God's grace in the lives not only of these people but in our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We give you praise, honor, and glory for your presence, your power, and your purpose in our lives. Father, we ask you today to help and illumine this word and open our hearts to receive it, and not only to be a hearer, but be a doer of that that we hear. Lord, we thank you for the grace of God that has appeared to all men. We give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. look at the person next to them, tell them they're looking as good as they can this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. In this story of Lazarus, he has two sisters. You're probably familiar with that. And uh, their names are Mary and Martha. And in Luke chapter 10, we won't turn there, but the latter few verses of that chapter of Luke 10 there's an occurrence there that represents the difference, I believe, between law and grace. And uh, what we have is a picture of that. And what we see is that in typology, Martha uh, represents the law and Mary represents the grace of God. And in Luke 10, we see Martha, she's working and she's laboring and she's serving and she's performing. And Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus, it says, listening to his words. And then, of course, the Bible says that Martha, Jesus himself said that she is distracted with much serving. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place to serve, but I'm just saying that in this case, she was missing what she should have been doing, and she should have been sitting there at the feet of Jesus because they weren't, were not always going to have him in the physical presence like they were at that moment. And so Martha's upset that Mary is doing this. And you remember the story how that she goes to Jesus and says, make my sister help me. Make her get up and, and help me. So the Marthas of the world, those that are living by the rules and the law, will always demand that the Marys do the same works that they're doing. In other words, if you're not doing exactly what they are doing, then they would judge you as not being in right standing uh, with the Lord. And they'll also persecute the Marys. And those that, that observe the law, the Bible says, will be persecutors of those that, that serve grace. So I guess one of the biggest uh, things that I've seen people react to so 
uh, uh, harshly, I guess, is uh, particularly from the blogs and different things that we've uh, published, and I hope that you've availing yourself of that. If you're new and don't know that, don't do it now, but go to my website. My name is Dale, D-E-L-L, -L, not Dale. My name's Dale. So go to daleyoung.net and you'll find a lot of, uh, you can sign up and you'll get some, you'll find a lot of information there about the grace of God. And you'll also be signed up if you'll put your email in there to receive those blogs when they are dropped and, and put online. But I guess one of the things that I've seen to upset people the most is people will will write or comment or if I make a comment about the Ten Commandments and, and they get very upset if you tell them that the Ten Commandments don't have anything to do with us today. And they just, they really just go off, they, they'll call you names, they'll call you ugly names. And they really get upset about that. And, uh, but the Ten Commandments are part of the law of God. I guess we were talking about it in one of the community groups last Wednesday night. One of the reasons that people focus just on the Ten, I guess, in my mind, it's because that God himself wrote those uh, ten with his own finger on stone and gave them to Moses. And if you remember that story, Moses doesn't even barely get down from the mountain until, he, until those, the tablets are broken. And that's prophetic. That's symbolic. That, that's, that's about it. You know, that he didn't even get them down to the people before the, those commandments were broken. And, uh, of course, he goes back up at a later point. And uh, he has to take hammer and chisel this time himself. God don't write it with his finger the second time. That's interesting. But those Ten Commandments are written down in stone and placed within the Ark of the Covenant. But there's actually 613 commandments in the law of God. And so uh, the Bible has a lot to say in the New Testament about the law. Let me just say this right out the gate. You know, somebody says, well, do you have to keep the Ten Commandments? Or the Ten Commandments are, are for us today. Not for us obtaining any kind of relationship with God. They are not for us. Uh, they never have been. Unless you, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but unless you are a Jew the, and, and from Israel, the commandments have never been given to you in the first place. You just hadn't read the Bible. And I'm going to read that verse for you and prove that to you. The, a Gentile, in other words, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? And probably most everybody in this room is a, a Gentile. And uh, God loves us the same, but he never gave the commandments to any people but Israel. God never judged any nation for not keeping the commandments but the nation of Israel. Uh, the only time a Gentile ever had to come under the law, the Bible says, if they were staying in the home of a, a, uh, a Jew, then they had to observe the, you know, the Sabbath or whatever. The fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, there's not a Christian on the planet that keeps the Ten Commandments. And if anybody in here thinks you are, you're kidding yourself. It's, you're, you're on a head trip, you're on a game because the fourth one says, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. And so that's the only commandment of the ten that says, remember it, because that's the one that people forget. And he was talking about Israel. And one of the commandments in the law is that if you saw somebody, in other words, so if you are a Christian today in 2017 and you say, I believe in the Ten Commandments and I keep the Ten Commandments, then don't get offended now. I'm not after you. I'm just trying to help free you. But you're telling a lie. You're breaking one of the commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Because you're not keep, there's not a person on the planet that's ever kept the Ten Commandments but Jesus. He's the only one that ever could. He's the only one that ever did. It's, the Bible says that. The, the, uh, are you saying then that you believe that we should kill? I mean, you've got to be spirit of stupid on you to think like that. Okay? I don't need a law that says don't kill. I already know that I don't want to be killed, therefore I don't want to kill nobody. Okay? So, you, you, don't, you know, I don't need it written down, you know. Well, I'm glad you wrote it down or I'd have killed some people today. Well, I mean, come on. So, but, 
but you don't keep, you know, everybody, and this is what the Bible says, if you break one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking how many? Okay, so if you don't keep the Sabbath, so if you say, I believe in the Ten Commandments, I keep the Ten Commandments, and you go by the little wire sign, and you stick the Ten Commandments in your front yard and all that kind of stuff, and see, I, I've always said for decades, I would never spend a dime helping people try to get Ten Commandments posted anywhere. It's amazing that God put the Ten Commandments in, a, in, a, in the Ark of the Covenant and sealed it with a lid. And it's amazing that one time that Ark was... Uh, taken by foreigners and they opened the lid and something like it's in the scripture I don't remember the exact number but it's like 30,000 of them died when they just cracked the lid to look inside there and 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 God went to great lengths to seal the commandments because that ark of the covenant is a type of Jesus so he put the 10 commandments in Christ because he's the only one that can keep them uh when, when if you think that you're keeping the 10 commandments then that means on Friday sundown to Saturday sundown then you don't do anything. You don't kindle a fire. That means you don't flip your light switches on. You don't turn your stove on. You don't check your emails, text, tweet, Facebook, or any of that. You, you can't bear a burden. Uh, you can't walk but so far. I mean, it, the list is endless. And, one, and, and capital punishment was the, was the verdict for breaking the Ten Commandments. So if you broke the Ten Commandments, then it's a death sentence. Under the law, one time, they, the Bible says that they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Anybody knows this in the Bible? Say amen or raise your hand. Okay, so they know I ain't making this stuff up. This ain't in the notes. <clears throat> All right? So they found this man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. They arrest him because that's what they're commanded to do. And they bring him to Moses and says, what do we do? He was gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Why do you think he's gathering sticks? He's going to build a fire. Okay. He's gathering sticks. They, Moses goes to God and says, God, what do I do? Because Moses was a man of compassion. He already knew what to do, but at least he asked a question anyway. And God says, let him be killed. Let him be stoned. Capital punishment. It's pretty serious. Old covenant now. But he broke the Sabbath. He was killed. In, in the law, if you are a Jew and you saw a person breaking the Sabbath, you're to stone them. So if you ever saw anybody, you know, if you're a Christian... First off, they're not even for you, but if you want to play the game that the Ten Commandments are for you and pretend that you're a Jew, which you're not, but you'll pretend, you know, we are in the spirit, you understand, but we'll just play the game here, then that means if you broke the Sabbath, then you, you, you know, uh, you broke the law. Or if you saw somebody else breaking it and you didn't stone them, you broke the Ten Commandments. You broke the law by not stoning the person that was breaking the Fourth Commandment. Come on now. Do you see what a game this is? So you go, well, you know, God don't expect us to keep that one. Okay, so it's not the Ten Commandments, it's the Nine Commandments. So you see what you've done right there? Then what you do is you reach in there and you pick out the ones that you like. If you're going to obey all the law, then that means you can't go to Red Lobster. Ever. Just because of the name. You can't even go there. You can't eat lobster or shrimp. And forget all going to raise meal pond and eating catfish, because that's out. Because catfish don't have scales, and you can't eat any fish that don't have scales. And don't even think about swallowing a nasty oyster, because that's off the... It's not part of the dietary laws. You see what games we play? But what we do in church is we reach and pick out the ones that we find palatable, acceptable, 
and then we say and kid ourselves that we're keeping the commandments. My point is that, that, that you have no relationship with God through rules and regulations and law. But most of the church, in my opinion, is setting under and has been raised under a mixture of law and grace. And you've heard me say that. Jesus is very clear that you cannot mix the two. That's what he was talking about, the new wine and the old wine. The new wine is not some, you know, in most Pentecostal charismatic services, if they mention a new wine, they're talking about like a move of God's coming, the new wine. The new wine came when Jesus came because he brought it. He was the new wine, and what Jesus brought was the grace of God. But he says the grace of God cannot go in an old, old wineskin, an old system. In other words, you can't take the grace of God and put it in the law. The grace of God has got to be in Christ. That is the grace of God. He is the grace of God. This is some things that the Bible says about the law. It says the law or the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. Now, I used to think that was a negative verse, but it's a positive verse because what it, the law is to kill you. The law is not to build you up and get you in the right relationship. The law is to get you to abandon the ridiculous thought that you could ever please God by keeping rules and regulations and that somehow you would make yourself acceptable to God if you kept all the rules because you can't keep them. The law is to make you give up in frustration and accept the grace of God that's in Christ Jesus and in his sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 15 and 45 says that the, the first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus is a life-giving spirit. He gives life. I told you our problem was that we needed life. He said, I've come that they might have life. So when I'm depending on the law, see, the law encourages me to depend upon myself instead of depending upon Jesus. Galatians 3 and 10, 11, 12, and 13. Listen to Galatians chapter 3. They're having to hit these on the fly if they can get them up. He says in verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law, they're under a curse. For it is written, listen, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. So what God says here is if you start and make an attempt to keep the Ten Commandments, if you're one of those Christians that write to me and, and, and tell me that you, you know, we're supposed to live by the Ten Commandments, then the Bible says you're under a curse if you don't keep all 613 of them. Because it says if you shove off from the shore to begin to keep them, you've got to keep them all. Then you're under, that's what would judge you. You're under that curse. Verse 11, but that no one is justified. How many? Now, what does justified mean? I've taught you that. It's the same word in, in Greek, made righteous. In other words, justified means just if I've never known anything about sin. That's what it means. Just if I'd never sinned. It's a neat way of remembering it, maybe. But it means made righteous. Justification means you, you've been made right with God. There's only one thing that'll make you right with God, and that is you putting your faith in the blood of Jesus. Okay? So he says, no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident. For the just shall live by faith. Uh, yet, verse 12, the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you're going to do the law, then you're going to live by the law. You'll be judged by the law. But look what it says, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why? He became a curse for us. It is written, curse to everyone who hangs on the tree. The Bible says that the law is a law, Paul wrote in Corinthians, said it's a law of ministry of condemnation and death. Okay, the, the law was our schoolmaster, it says. The law was to bring us to Christ. Uh, but Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, listen to what it says. For what the law could not do 
in that it was weak through the flesh. Now, the law was not the problem. Our flesh was the problem. It, the law was good and holy and acceptable, uh, but, but is, the problem was not with the law itself, but the problem was us trying to keep the law. Are you with me? For the law, could not, what it could not do, and it was weak through the flesh. One translation said, weakened by our flesh. God did. I love that word. God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, and then he condemned sin in the flesh. What flesh did God condemn sin in? In the flesh of his son. God condemned sin in the flesh of his son. And Jesus bore the full weight and the full wrath of a uh, uh, penalty of God's wrath upon sin in his own body on the tree. Can you say amen? Verse 14, why? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now listen, God's standard is you have to be perfect. God does not grade it on a curve. So on zero to 10, then zero being nothing, 10 being perfect, you're either a zero or a 10. You're not a three, you're not a four, you're not a seven. Because God, in Jesus' first sermon in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, he said, be perfect. He also said, be holy. How, you don't grow in holiness. You don't be a Christian and become perfect. You're given that as a gift. The Bible says righteousness is a gift of righteousness. By the way, if it's a gift, then it can never be taken from you. That just addresses a whole nother sermon. But if it's a gift, if it's truly is a gift, then it can never be taken from you because it was a gift. All right. So the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness, the gift of holiness, you grow in grace. I hope that's happening right now. You grow in wisdom. You, you grow in knowledge, but you don't grow in holiness. You don't grow in perfection. You don't grow in righteousness. It's gifts. You see how freeing this is? And so God still requires perfection by the law. God doesn't ignore it. But you have been judged as you have kept the law fully and completely through Christ. He kept it because we couldn't keep it. He kept it for us. Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. That's what he said. Now, now this, this story about Mary and Martha, let, let me just... Because I love picture stories. So here's the picture story of Mary and Martha. All right. Remember, Martha represents the person that's going by the law. Mary represents grace people. And Lazarus represents all humanity who is attempted and tried to live by that law, to be right with God. All right. You may have never heard this from this story, but I hope, I hope you can see the picture of this. Because that's what it is. Now, the Bible says that he was in that tomb. And I encourage you, if you're not familiar with the story, you read John 11. And, and read the whole account of it. It starts with that first verse. And just read the whole account of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And it says that God loved all of them. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He spent a great deal of time in their home. They lived in Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is away. And, and, and he, he receives word that his friend, whom he loves, Lazarus, is sick unto death. And, and you know, he, he delays two days later. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it says a day with the Lord is as a, a thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. So there's a typology that a day with the Lord is a thousand years. Okay, you with me? Can y'all follow me as I can talk real fast? 
All right, in, in the beginning, let me just give you this little tidbit. In other words, Jesus, we're working off of God's day. We're working off a 6,000-year plan, and, and we're in the beginning of maybe the, you know, somewhere on God's calendar of the seventh day or the 7,000 years. We know that for a fact from Adam. All right? So from, from Adam to now, there has been <clears throat> 6 billion people to live and die. Right now, there are 7, 8 billion people on the planet right now. So there's more people on the planet now, alive today, than they have been that has lived and died from Adam to now. Think about that. That's why the end time harvest is going to be greater because there's just more people. There's just more people coming, that's coming to God. Now, another little tidbit is that, that Jesus comes on the fourth day. I'm talking about to planet earth. In other words, in Genesis account, if you go through the accounts, God said in the beginning, let there be light, and light was. You agree with that? But he hadn't created the sun yet. You understand it? So when God said let there be light, it's got nothing to do with the sun. See law, Paul's reflect, think on that. Wow. But, but on the fourth day, God made the sun, the moon, and the stars. Is that right? Y'all didn't read the Bible. All right. So Jesus came in typology on the fourth day. The sun came on the fourth day. Jesus himself, literal Christ, was born 4,000 years from Adam. Jesus came and was birthed on the fourth day. How many days was Lazarus in the grave? It's not hard, people. Work with me. So for 4,000 years, for 4,000 years, they had basically depended upon the law to try to have a relationship with God. But Jesus came to bring something totally new. All right, when Jesus comes... They meet him, Martha does, remember? Now, you can read this, and I'm telling you the truth, okay? I'm just trying to go fast. But Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, now, they've already had the funeral. They've already buried Lazarus, and they've already sealed him in the tomb. Martha hears that, that Jesus is coming with his disciples. She goes out on the road to a certain spot to meet him. Now, listen to me, listen to me. I'm going to show you and prove to you that you can have two different preachers, can be two different churches, two different nations for all I care. But you can have two different preachers that take the same text and preach the exact same theology, but they will both get totally different results from their preaching. They will not be theologically incorrect, either one of them, on that particular point that I'm trying to make, but they will, they will, they will elicit total different results from the Spirit. Because one is preaching from a base of law, and one is preaching from a base of grace. And a grace preacher will get a different result than a law preacher every time. Okay? Because that's what God's commissioned. The Bible says we are ministers of the grace of God. That's, that's all God's called ministers in the New Testament to preach. Paul said that I've, I, I've made my decision. I'm, I will not know anything among you but Christ and him crucified. Paul said I'm not going to waste time on anything else other than talking to you about what brought us here. And that's the finished work of Jesus. Okay, so now Martha runs out and meets him. Martha says these words, if you'd only been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. Now in a moment, you're going to see his sister come and she's going to say the exact same words. But she's going to a different response. She's going to get a different response. Now, so when, when Martha encounters, this is important that you get this. When Martha encounters Jesus, the processional stops right there. It stops right there. All right. Um, Martha's there. If you've been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, uh, your brother will live. 
She, this is what law does and this is what religion does. It always puts it in the future. It never helps you out in the present. She says, I know you'll live in the resurrection. See, religion will always put it in the past or the, pre or the future. It will never bring it. It will never let you see God as a present help. Religion will say God will and God has, but Jesus said I am. God is a present help. Present today. Present right now. And so that's one way you can recognize religion, because it's always putting it in the future or in the past, never in the present. But, but he said, you, you, I know you'll live in the resurrection. Jesus looked at her like, because see, you, you, law folk don't get it. Jesus said, I am. This ain't a sermon he said about resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. That's all she got. Now the processional has stopped and will not move. Because it will take grace to go from that, this point. See, Moses can get you close to the promised land. The law came through Moses. But Moses can never carry you into the promise. It takes a Joshua, which is the Hebrew for Jesus. Anybody knows I'm preaching Bible? Just Okay, so it will, take a, it will take Jesus, Joshua, to carry you in to inherit the promises. Moses can get you close. Moses can point and say, yonder it is, y'all. But Moses can't carry you in to the promises of God. God won't let law bring you in. Law cannot bring you in. It'll get you close. It'll make you miserable. Because you'll be looking at all the blessings. You'll be looking at them eating grapes as big as basketballs. And you're there with one big as your uh, fingernail. And you go, this ain't fair. And then you're starting to understand grace ain't fair. It's called grace for a reason. And so now Martha is sent to go get Mary. Now the Bible says, there's so many sermons in this story, but the Bible said Mary, in the King James, it says Mary sat still in the house. I wonder if we could have some people just to sit still in the house until Jesus calls for you to do something. We got a lot of folks like Martha jumping up and just doing something. We got to do something for God because they think that they are received by God by all they're doing. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. Be first and then do out of the be. Okay? Martha, law, goes and gets Mary and brings her to Jesus. The Bible goes to great lengths in John 11. You can just read it later. It goes to great lengths to, in two different verses to let you know that the processional has stopped and not moved one inch. And it says Jesus is still in the same place that he was when Mary encounters him. Because Martha cannot make him go any further. Okay, now Mary comes. Here comes your grace preacher. Mary takes the Bible, opens up to the same text, preaches the same sermon. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. Jesus says, show me where you laid him. How many know show me where you laid him is a lot better than a theological teaching on resurrection? Jesus said, show me. Take me to where Lazarus is. See, Martha, the law is your schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. Martha will bring you to Christ, but Martha can't carry you to the dead folk, to this world. You see, it takes grace to do that. Jesus says to Mary, show me where you have laid him. The Bible says that when Jesus saw them weeping and the Jews weeping, now, remember in the conversation with Jesus when he was notified that Lazarus was sick unto death, 
he told his disciples plainly that Lazarus is dead. Because they didn't understand. They thought, well, if he's asleep, maybe he's getting better. Jesus said, no, he's dead. And he said, I'm glad for your sakes that he's died. That's really what he said. I'm glad for your sakes. So, in other words, he said, let us go that we may awaken him. In other words, I'm telling you that Jesus knew that he was going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. He says it. So he can't be crying over Lazarus. The fact that Jesus wept is an amazing verse to me. Jesus wept. Why? God never has wasted anything. He's not wasted a word, a syllable, or a tear. And he's not wasting anything here. He cried on purpose. He cried not because of Lazarus was dead, because he knew he was going to raise him. He's weeping because, see, even though he knows what the future is, that he's going to raise him from the dead, but the pain of the, of the present is real and is tangible. If you want to know what Jesus thinks about the death of one of your loved ones, look at this story. Jesus wept. He felt the pain of the present, but yet he is showing his, his scandalous love in that moment of his humanity as he weeps because Mary weeps. You ever love somebody so much that all you can, you just see them start crying and you don't even have a clue why they're crying. And all of a sudden you start seeing them tears coming out of their eyes and they ain't said a word and they're crying. All of a sudden they go, your lip goes to quivering. And you start crying. You don't even know why you're crying other than you're crying because you love them and they're crying. That's how it was with Jesus. When it said Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it's no joke. When he says he loves you, it's no joke. And he's weeping because she's weeping. If it matters to you, it matters to him. If it makes you cry, it makes him cry. If it makes you laugh, it makes him laugh. I'm so glad the artists now that, that are starting to do these things of Jesus are starting to do some smiling Jesuses. I'm tired of the drugged out, zoned out Jesus portraits. And I'm also tired of the halo uh, uh, portraits. That's not true either. There's no halo. He's a Jewish guy. He's a Jewish guy. Carpenter. Blue collar worker. There was nothing that the Bible says of itself. There was nothing spectacular about his appearance. There was nothing in his appearance that would make people go after him. In other words, he was, not, he was not like Saul, King Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else. Chose because of his height or none of that. You had to recognize him by the Spirit. By the Spirit. He had to be revealed to you. And, and so now he says, show me where you laid him. All right, so Jesus now has wept and his heart is broken. And, and, and he goes to the tomb. And, 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 and this is what he says. Remove the stone." In other words, get the Ten Commandments out of the way. Remove the Ten Commandments. That, that that's been written in stone is a barrier between life and death here. What is it that keeps the dead, religiously dead, dead? It's them trying to keep the law. You know how the Bible says, I got the verse up there, how it says that you fall from grace, Paul said? You fall from grace by trying and attempting to live by the law. For no flesh shall ever be justified by the law. 
And if you try to attempt to live by the law, the Bible says you have just fallen from grace. Now, the world's definition of falling from grace is when somebody has slept with the wrong person or done this or done that or stole money. They've fallen from grace. But the Bible says that falling from grace is when people try, like the Galatians, to live by the law. They have just fallen from grace. Why did they fall from grace? Because grace is a high lofty place. Grace is as high as it gets because grace is Jesus. Grace is a person. And, and so, so now Jesus says you need to remove the barrier, the obstacle between a relationship with me. Remove the stone. Now when he told them to remove the stone, when you tell people they don't have to keep the Ten Commandments to be right relationship, the, 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 when, when you tell them that, the first person that speaks in the Bible, when Jesus says remove the stone, next verse, Martha opens her mouth. And she is the first to offer objection to removing of the stone. She said, don't move the stone because he stinks. In other words, let me paraphrase. When you tell them to remove the stone, they say it stinks. Being in the great four days, he stinks. Now, it, it, it stinks to them for people like me to say, you, you remove the stone. That they're the first to object. When you say, remove the stone, just wait, go, just go ahead and say, all right, Martha, go ahead and talk. Because the Marthas, the law keepers, are going to say something. When you tell them to remove the stone and get that out of the way, that, that's got nothing to do between you and God. That's got absolutely nothing to do between you and God. And so I, I want to give you just a, a real, you know, a clear, a clear verse that says it more clearly than anything. Romans 10 and 4. I think they have it. Romans 10 and 4. Listen to what it says. It doesn't get any clearer. For Christ is what? The end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10, verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. Did Christ come? Then he's the end. The law has ended. Law don't go around here. Any tombstone fans out there? Law don't go around here, law dog. Christ is the end. The law ends. Listen, the, the law didn't end in the sense that it went away forever. Now listen to me. The law ended for the righteousness by means to obtain righteousness because to everyone who what? Believes. So it's by believing that righteousness comes. It's not by doing, it's by believing. Okay? Now, the law doesn't go away. So let me be clear on this. The law doesn't go away. Paul said the law is good if one uses it lawfully. What did he mean by that? He goes on to say that he says, for we know that the law is not for the righteous. How many knows that's in the Bible? Say amen. But for the sinners. And then he names a long list, murderers, adulterers, fornicators, liars, cheaters. And he names all this big long list. And he said, if anything else you can think of, he said, that's who the law is for. Like my granddad used to say, locks on the door are not for good folk, you know, honest people. That's for thieves. The reason you got to put a lock on something it's not for the general populace. It's for the thieves among us. They're the ones that need the law. I think they would probably be people that have enough sense to drive at a reasonable speed limit without speed limit signs and laws. Y'all don't like y'all believe that. <laughs> if you was like me 20 years as a paramedic and been much wrecked as I have, you would... You, would, you wouldn't need a speed limit sign. To, if it starts raining, you slow down. 
I was amazed all the time you'd see people that they would pass by, you know, an accident or something, and we got there with the body bags or something. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's real. I was 20 years of this. You know what? But even before it was a law, you'd, re, you'd see them in the car, reach over and buckle in their seatbelts as they slowly, five miles an hour, drove by the accident scene while we waiting on the coroner to come out there or something. And so, you know, and then for the, you can believe probably the rest of that day they drove so careful and so attentive and all that. But then a few days later, boom, they're right back at it again because we forget so quickly. And, and, and so Christ is the end of the law for those in other words, Christ is the end for, for means by obtaining righteousness. The law is not going to ever do that. But the law is good if you use it lawfully. Who should, who, who's the law used on? Sinners. Tell a sinner that this is God's standard. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shouldn't lie. All the, all these, this is God's standard. Have you kept that? I didn't think so. So you need Jesus. So the law actually does what again? It's a schoolmaster. It brings them to Christ. It's like the bus driver. Once the bus, bus driver brings you to school, it served a purpose. Go home, bus driver. You got me here now. Peace out. Go on. Don't sit out there and run the bus all day. You, I'm done with you. You brought me here. Once you've been brought to Christ, the Bible says the law has no purpose for you as a believer. But for the sinners, now we still need the law. The law, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have. And so people accuse preachers like me, said that, you know, law haters, law bashers, uh, that we don't even think the Ten Commandments has any purpose. I just told you it has a purpose, but it's not for you, the believer, to receive a right relationship with God. That's what I'm trying to free you from. Because that's what Jesus came to do. If a man can obtain a right relationship with God with the law, Paul said, then Christ died in vain. There was no reason. And so what the law keepers are doing, they are nullifying and canceling out the whole, whole reason and the whole purpose uh, that Jesus came. Now, now, Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha complains. And what, what does Jesus do? Jesus immediately calls her back to grace. Now, he says, to, he says to Martha, he says in John 11 and 40, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? He said, and he calls her back to faith. When Martha, this law keeper says, don't, don't move the stone, basically what she's saying. Jesus said, we're going to remove the stone because this is, this is the barrier. He calls her back to faith. So now listen, now once the stone is removed in this story, the first word out of the mouth of Jesus is Father. That's the first word. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me because you always hear me. What a revelation that would be if you believe that. All right, grace reveals God as our Father, not as our judge. Listen, grace does what Jesus did. Grace calls you by name. It don't say, who's ever in the tomb, come out. You know, it says, Lazarus, come out. Jesus, with a loud voice, he, Lazarus, come out. A out of what? Out of religion. Out of the tomb of trying to relationship with God through obtaining the law. Get the law out of the way. Come out of all that death. Come out of that sin. Come out of that grave clothes of performance. Because as soon as he came out, Jesus says these words. It wasn't enough that he came out. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And the Bible actually goes to a length to say that there was a grave napkin around the face. Now listen to me, of Lazarus. Why do we need to know that? And we're going to see this same grave napkin turn up in the tomb with, with Jesus. So, so this grave net, one thing that they would do, you can read this, when they would, they would kind of like wrap a body like a mummy. They would strip them down. Uh, they would be nude and they would wrap them with these strips of cloth and just like a mummy would be wrapped up. They would also, as they, before they wrapped the face and the head, they would stick cloth actually in the mouth. 
to stop any residual fluids or anything that would be uh, leaking out. So they would stick a grave napkin inside the mouth of the person, and then they would finish and wrap their head you know, all, all the way up. And they would be sealed up like that. And, and, and what, is, what, what is grave clothes anyway? It is man's attempt to preserve what is dead. It's, it's an attempt at preservation. Is that not right? It's, it's, it's to try to slow down the decaying process and try to preserve something that is dead. And so that's why they would do this. And so Jesus says, loose him and, and let him go. Get, get all of that, all that performance-based stuff off of him. That's why we've got to have new clothes because we've got a naked man standing here now. We, I, Jesus said, I want all of that stuff off of him. Romans chapter 3, verse 19, it says, For we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Under the law. Paul said in another place in Romans, he said, I was sold under sin. In, in, the, in the day of, of, of the writing of that, they would actually take a slave. They would stand them on a box or some lofty place. And, and, and under the Roman government, they would be a spear over their head into the wood behind them. That's the window, into the post. And, and, and so that spear of the of the whatever the government or ruling gov- authority was would be over them. So Paul used that picture and said, "I've been sold under sin, under that government, under whatever." So Paul said, "I was sold under sin, but Jesus came and redeemed me." Imagine Jesus, this prince, comes to a person that's being sold as a slave, and he says, "I'll buy that person. I'll buy them." And he paid the price. What was the price? His own precious, holy, righteous blood. We, we, John sung it that last song. I love that song. I've been waiting for him to sing. I am redeemed. I've been purchased. I've been bought, not with, uh, with, with corruptible uh, uh, things, but with incorruptible, the blood of Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. And, and so, so now it says that every, look at Romans 3.19. We know that whatever the law says, it's, listen, it says to those who are under the law, listen, why? That every mouth may be stopped. I want you to get this. And that all the world may become guilty before God. In other words, the law can be expressed in these two words, shut up. In other words, if you think you can keep the law, you need to shut up. Hey, I'm, I'm reading it. That's just Young's paraphrase. That's what he says. I want you know what the law will do. It, the law will tell you to shut up and sit down. Just shut up. Trying to be right with God by something you've done. Shut up. Oh, shut up. I, I believe in keeping the ten commandments. Oh, shut up. I keep the ten. Oh, shut up. That, that's what Paul said. The law is meant to make you shut up. It's meant to close your mouth. Because we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God says, shut up. I don't want to hear no boasting. I don't want to hear what you've done, how much you've gone to church, how much you've given, how much you've read, how much you've prayed, how much you've fasted, how much you've done, how much you've sacrificed. I don't want to just shut up. Just shut up. But you are allowed to boast under the new covenant. You boast with Paul. He says, I boast in Christ. 
I boast in the works of Jesus. I boast, my boast now is not in anything that I've ever done. My boast is in the finished work of Jesus. I boast in Christ. I boast in His sacrifice. I boast in His precious blood. I boast in Him for my righteousness. I boast in Him for my relationship with God. I boast in Jesus now. I got no boast for Dale, but I will boast, brag on, glorify my Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Isn't that good? Come on, give him some praise right there. All right, finishing this story up. When Jesus dies, they do the same with him. They wrap him up. They put him in a tomb. They roll a stone in front. Now, when they hear that Jesus has been resurrected... It is an amazing thing to me, knowing the Bible as I do and the culture of that day, that the first people that Jesus, God, would choose to reveal his son's resurrection to was women. Because in that day, a woman had zero rights. She could not vote if there were any kind of voting or casting lots. But other than that, she couldn't, if a woman was there and was the only witness, listen to me, of a murder. She could not be called to testify in court, in any court, because her words were not believable. If you understand that that was the culture of that day, then you would understand why that the two guys on the road to Emmaus said, well, we had women come and tell us that he was resurrected. You know, they startled our company by telling us that, but what they're going, the reason they're walking this way is because, you know, what they didn't finish, you know, saying is we didn't believe a word of it. They said they didn't believe the women. They've been trained, these men have been trained never to believe any kind of testimony from a woman. And yet God chooses to honor women in an unprecedented way. And the first one he appears to is Mary Magdalene in the garden of whom he cast out seven demons. She was the playgirl of Magdala. And she was the first to get his bodily resurrection. And she thought he was the gardener. And he was. (laughs) He was the gardener. He was the creator of all things. And so... Now, these two disciples, John and Peter, come running to the tomb. And I want you to see this picture. So they come running. This is in John 20, and uh, verse 6, 7, and 8 is the only ones I'm going to read. John 20, 6, 7, and 8. Then it says, Then Simon Peter came following him. He's following John. They're almost having like a foot race to the tomb. And they went into the tomb, and, and, and Simon Peter following him, Simon went into the tomb. And look what it says. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. And here we go, verse 7. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, that's John. John is writing, and he, he wants us to know that he outran Peter. You see the subtlety there? He just wants you to know that I'm faster than him, and I actually got there first, but I didn't go into the tomb first. But he said, I did outrun him. And he says, and he saw and believed. Now, listen, you get two different responses. And if you, and if you study this in the Greek, uh, you, you have two different words used for saw or viewed. So, in other words, I want you to see this. Peter, it says viewed, and in the Greek is theoria. It's T-H-E-O-R-E-O, theoria. And that's where we get our word theater from. So, Peter went into the tomb, but he looked at all of it like he was watching a movie, 
like it was a theater, a theatrical view. He, he viewed it as a spectator. But when John went in, it said, and John saw and believed, it uses a totally different Greek word. Uh, it's a word, I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but it's edo, E-I-D-O, totally different word. And what that word means is to know and to experience and to believe. And, and so you, you, you got to understand that the Bible says that the stone of Jesus' tomb was rolled away. Now, who rolled that stone away? God did. The angels of the Lord were there. And, and, and actually, I, I like one of the gospels that says that, that, that they were sitting on it. They rolled it away, and then they just sat on it. I, I don't know if y'all see the imagery of all this. This is what grace will do to you now when you read the Bible. But, but you know, and I realize in the church plays you saw that they have to roll the symbolic stone away, and then they got the smoke and the lights bright, and then Jesus steps out. That's only in church theater. It's not what happened. Because Jesus did not remove the stone. The stone was not removed to let Jesus out. The stone, you know, you understand he's glorified body. He's walking through walls, right? He don't need no stone removed so that he could get out. He's not in there going, man, I wish that hurt and remove that stone. I want to get out of here. Come on now. I'm trying to get you to see the symbolic things here. God removed that stone. Remember Jesus said Lazarus removed the stone? You think God's going to tell you to do something he ain't going to do? So when his son is put in that same tomb, he bore all that stuff. He bore the, the, the performance rap of religion, performance, raps, wrappings of religion, all that. The stone is removed. God does it. That's the Ten Commandments. God removed the Ten Commandments not to let Jesus out. He fulfilled them. God removed the Ten Commandments. That was the barrier between you and God was this law. And this law was a barrier. And God removed that barrier through his son's death. And now you, you, it was removed to let us in, not to let him out. Not, not to let him out. You even see the symbolism when Jesus was crucified. And that Roman soldier took a sword. And, and they said, he is already dead. He's dead. The Roman centurion pulled his sword, walked up to a dead Jesus, and thrust it into his side. And out of it came blood and water. Uh, he was already dead. So his side was not pierced to kill him because he's already dead. His side was opened up to let you in. If any man be in Christ. See, Adam was put to death, sleep, and his side was opened up and his wife was brought out. The last Adam was put to sleep by death and his side was opened up and his wife, the church, was brought out. It was opened up to let us in. If any man be in Christ, and I'm trying to get you to see that the law has no place in your life. The law actually was given, Paul said, that it would make sin exceedingly sinful. The Paul said the law, the, the law actually aroused sin in me. Paul said, I wouldn't even have known anything about covetousness except through the law. But once the commandment came, he said, I, I died. The law done its purpose. The law killed me. What can you do with the rebel? You have to kill him. That's why if you knew this, because sin would have no power over you, for you are no longer under law, but you're under grace. And so if sin is having, listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. To the degree, listen, that sin has dominion or a hold, or power over your life. I don't care what the sin is. 
It is to that degree that you're trying to be acceptable to God by that law. And you may not even understand or know that, but I pray to God you would believe that. Because once you let go of all of your trying and stop trying and start trusting and start believing in the finished work of Jesus, you will see that sin turn loose of you. For it has no authority or no hold unless you attempt to live by it. If you try to live by it, then it will grab you like an octopus and hang on to you. And it will judge you and condemn you and find you guilty. But let's say a man has killed ten people. And they try him in the Supreme Court here in Valdosta and they sentence him to death. And, they, and his death sentence is carried out and he's executed. How many times can they kill him? Even though he killed 10 people? You can't kill him 10 times? It don't matter how many people he killed. But you can only kill him. Once the law has condemned a man and sentenced him to death, the law finds us guilty, the law condemns us, and the law kills us. The law is, is your judge and jury. It, it says you're dead. You, 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 don't, you don't have a sin nature. I know you've gone to some churches where they told you you still do. And they point to your sin as proof. But they need to point, instead of you, start pointing to the Bible and they can't back it up in there. You don't have a sin nature any longer. You are under Adam, but you're not under Adam anymore. You're under Christ now. Christ don't have a sin nature. On the way, the only, where, where did you get your sin nature? From the first Adam. How can you bound up now be from the last Adam and still have the first Adam sin nature? It's, that's, that's stupid. You're telling me that what the first Adam did is stronger than what the last Adam did? That what Adam in the garden did is stronger than what Jesus in the garden did? No, no way. No way. But you, you got to reckon yourself as dead. Paul used a southern term, reckon yourself as dead. See, you, you're not, you're, uh, reckoning is an accounting term. You need to judge yourself and come into harmony, it means. To come into harmony with the truth that I am dead. My, my old person, the old person is dead. He was crucified with Christ. He was buried with Christ. And he was raised with Christ. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. I have a new way to relate to my Father. He's not my judge, but he's my Father. And I'm empowered now by the grace of God to live a life of freedom and liberty. That is so freeing when you know that. And, you, and, 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 and God will never, it's like I was amazed last Sunday, how many people have texted or wrote me or commented, you know, how many people have said, because I, I gave you the verses where God's not angry. I know half of you was at the beach, but I hope you listened to the podcast. But, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, so many people took those passages and sent them to people. I found them to tell me that. They, they said, I sent them to people to let them know. I just had somebody just the other night tell me, Thursday night, they said, I, I, I took the, 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 uh, the CD and I mailed it to this person that's just gone through. I won't be more specific than that, uh, though they were with me, unless they hear. But, but this person needed to know. They, they just, one, one of our members, this person don't even come to our church, they said, if you'll just listen to this CD, you will know that God's not angry with you. He will never, ever be angry with you. And that God loves you. And God has forgiven the world, which included your sin. And all he wants you to do is come to him and receive his life. That's the truth of the gospel right there. And so Jesus stands outside our place of religious death. And he says, if you'll remove that Ten Commandments and get that out of the view between me and you, don't let it get within our view. And he calls us out of that religion and out of that tomb. And gets all that, all that religion, all that stuff. And he takes that grave napkin that told you to shut up out of your mouth 
And it releases your mouth now to praise him. Now, when they, when, the, when they unwrapped Lazarus, I don't know if they, you know, somebody came. I just believe somebody came with a robe at least and took off their outer robe and covered him and gave him clothes, new clothes for Lazarus. Okay. And, uh, but it's hard, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven to check out that DVD. I'm going to spend a lot of time in the DVD room when I get to heaven. I'm going to be checking out a lot of stories and, and watching the videos. But, uh, uh, but there won't be no rush or anything. But, uh. I can't wait to see the actual occurrence of that. And I, believe, I really do believe I'll get to see all that. But, uh, but I, there's just nothing in me. Now, if you've been dead four days and you're starting to decompose and you've been called out of that um, and they unwrap you and they finally get that napkin out your mouth, you know, you know, you know it's like the, you know, the criminals when they put, you know, they put the duct tape across your mouth you know, when they got you kidnapped or something. All that comes off of Lazarus. I don't believe when they got him, you know, unwrapped and all that he was like, <clears throat> appreciate that. Thank y'all. You know, some say or something. I, mean, I don't think he did that. I, I believe the brother, I believe he had some praise going. I, I, I you know, I, I, I don't know what he did. You know, I don't, I don't want to make him, I, I don't know, but I want to watch and see what he did. But I, I don't think he just went, well, thank you, Jesus. I, I really appreciate that. That was that was top shelf there. Appreciate it. I don't think he did that. I believe he bust off some praise. I mean, I believe as soon as they got the arms loose, I believe one of them just went up and just started. I don't believe he just wrapped, you know, unwrapped him. You know, they, they would start it at the head where he can breathe good. And they unwrapped him and get the grave napkin. I believe as soon as they got that grave napkin out of his mouth, I believe that he began to praise God. I believe as soon as they got his arms turned loose. I, see, that's why I don't play the games. Well, raise your hand, praise the Lord. You know, I mean, you know. Stand up, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, I know sometimes preachers want to do that just to make sure flies ain't on you, okay? But that'd be like you telling me, you know, Dale, you know, hug your wife. Dale, kiss Jill. Dale, give her another kiss. Come on, kiss her real good. That, I mean, you're doing all that, but she ain't, she ain't going to be blessed by all that. Because I'm, not, I'm doing it because the preacher said. And so them services, come on, praise the Lord. Lift your hands and praise God. Come on, kiss him again. Come on, praise him louder. Playing games, man. How can you hear the grace of God? How can you hear songs sung like that last song and not want to just, you don't have to be taught to raise your hand and pray. You don't, people have to be taught to praise God. You walk up with a sweepstakes check big as you, you know, uh, that with a, with a thing of roses and say you got one of me and I'll watch them praise. Watch them get their praise on. No lessons needed. No Hosanna school teaching necessary. Watch them get their praise on. I'm telling you that the grace of God will make you the happiest person. It will make you the most content, blessed believer. Because when you see the, what, what God called us out of, and you see the grace of God in this brilliant, extravagant, radical fullness in Christ. It changes everything. My whole world, my whole life has been changed and is being changed as the revelation of God's righteousness and grace keeps coming. And when I see the goodness, so now when I read the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, what does this grace preacher see? I see the law getting moved. I see the grace of God coming. And I'm telling you that God's telling you to run to the grace because you're running to Jesus. You receive the word today. Come on, give him praise. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Praise team or ministry team. I'm saying praise team. Oh, God. Yeah, that too. But ministry team, come quickly. Amen. Don't you love God? Give him some praise. Would you do it? Come on. More of it. Now, see, I just taught you. That praise should be coming spontaneous. We love you guys here. We know, and I see some new faces here today. God bless you for being at, at Grace Point Church, where grace is the point. That's the whole reason. To tell this world about the goodness and the grace of God. And when you're fully persuaded like Paul was by that goodness, it changes everything in your life. It'll change how you read the Bible. It'll change how you see everything in the Scripture. And uh, I just so wish, I mean, I hear so many of the testimonies and all. And, uh, man, we, we just need to start getting those posted up, too, as well. The testimonies from you about what the message of God's grace has done in your life freed you from that performance-based religion, trying to be acceptable to God or think that God's angry with you. God don't want you to do sin. I'm not saying sin don't matter. I'm just saying Jesus matters a whole lot more than sin. He's bigger than that. And when you'll just focus on him, you won't be sin conscious. You'll be Christ conscious. You won't be a Martha that's focused on serving. How much am I doing for the Lord? And you won't be mad at the Marys like us that are grace people just sitting at his feet, resting in his finished work. And you won't demand that they do the same thing that you do. The Bible says another passage, listen to me. Paul said this, and it's in, it's in Romans, the second chapter. Uh, I forget the verse, maybe 17, 8, 16, something. Listen, listen to what Paul said. He said, for the Gentiles who do not have the law, are a law unto themselves. They become a law unto themselves. Right there, listen, as clearly as it can be stated is the truth of what I said earlier. That unless you're a Jew, the, the law has never been given to you, period. Period. Paul said the Gentiles, they've never had the law. The law was never given to them. But Paul said this, what they'll do is they'll build their own laws. I'm going to preach sometime of why we have such division in the body of Christ. But that's not God's intention. But what you have is, no offense here, but the Baptists have their rules. They might say you're saved by grace. But then there's rules. There's just certain rules. I was raised in, in holiness till I was 12, and then Pentecostal after that, and then whatever cares. I don't like any of the labels. But, but they had their rules. I, I've, I've lived long enough now that I've seen the rules change in, in holiness. My granddaddy was a holiness Baptist preacher. They couldn't have TVs in their home. That was like a rule. But it wasn't one of the 613 Jewish commandments, but it was a rule in that church. There was a rule that the women couldn't wear makeup. There was a rule that the men couldn't, you know, mow yards with their shirts off. You know, understand, you don't know where I've come from. When Jill and I were first married, I've been married 37 years in July. When Jill and I were first married, I didn't own a pair of shorts. Because I was holiness. No matter how hot it was, I would never take my shirt off. I went to church one time. They told me I couldn't wear my watch and my wedding rings. Because that was jewelry and that was outward adornment. So I took those off. Until my wife told me, said, well, you're going to go without your wedding ring. I'm going to drop mine off too. See, I want her to keep hers on. I want people to know that she's mine. <laughs> We've been married in less than a year. We went to a family reunion at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I looked at them really sincerely. I, I'm, I, you know, it may be funny now, but I lived it. I looked at all her kinfolk. They were all Baptists like they were all going to hell. I was like, good God. 
And because they wore bathing suits and the girls wore, and I'm out there in the ocean. But I still, I still always loved the beach and wanted to swim. So I'm out there in blue jeans and a t-shirt about to drown in the, in the ocean because it weighs me down. And they're all looking at me like I'm an idiot. I mean, all her family from out west, they all family, they're looking at me like I'm just stupid. And I'm looking at them like, oh, y'all going to hell. Oh, y'all going to hell. I'm the only one here going to heaven. I'm telling you, I live this mess. I live this mess. I'm amazed that Jill even stayed with me through that stupidity. But I was doing the best I knew. And I was doing what people had told me to do. And I was trying to be acceptable to God by what I did and what I didn't do. And I thought, you know, and, and, I, and, and, and I didn't even believe for a long time that you could go to the beach. I remember being in my church of God and people would go, they say, well, we're going to the beach. And I would look at them like they just said they were going to commit adultery. And I would say to them, I said, you going to the beach? I said, how are you going to go to the beach and not lust? I said, when you go to the grocery store and you walk in the grocery store, what do you think about? I said, well, groceries. I said, well, what do you think you're going to be thinking about when you go to the beach and you see all them people about half naked? What are you going to be thinking about down there? That's how I used to tell them. I said, man, Bob says you can't look at a woman even lust. Don't tell me you can go to the beach and just not lust. You, you sinning to go to the beach. Do you understand? Listen to me. When I joined the church that I joined, no, no offense to the people. They're doing the best. When I joined the church, they would read all these rules out while you join. They would say, this is what we believe, and you have to say that you believe this too. We do not believe in mixed bathing. It's called mixed bathing. So men couldn't swim where there was women swimming, and women couldn't swim where there was men swimming. So guess what? No swimming parties. They also said that you cannot, we, we, we are against the use of tobacco in any form. I remember I was 12 when I joined the church, but I remember all the, all the rules. We're against the use of tobacco in any form. I thought, what hypocrisy when I started preaching. My first revival was in Broxton, Georgia. And I stayed in the parsonage with the pastor. And we went around and visited farmers who were growing tobacco. And had hundreds of acres of tobacco. But yet the church teaching said that we are against the use of tobacco in any form. And I said, well, what makes this a different form? My granddaddy in the Holiness Baptist and all. In the Holiness Baptist and if you smoked a cigarette, you went straight to hell. And they were tobacco farmers all in the Holiness Baptist Church. Y'all better get up off me and say, man, you know it's true if you're old enough. Rules, regulations, and everybody, Catholics got them, Nazarenes got theirs, Baptists, Methodists, Charismatic, Pentecostals got theirs, everybody's got their rules. But none of those rules put you in right relationship with the Father. Most of those rules are man-made up traditions that actually nullify and cancel out the Word of God. And it makes your relationship miserable. And I remember when Jill and I were first married, and I end with this. For the first time in my life since coming back to God at 19, I was in my early 20s, I was miserable. And the joy of going to church had let, gone away. And I was so ashamed, I wouldn't even admit it to anybody. And it was right during that season. And, 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 and I was around some just crazy people. Just tell, you know, like, you know, one guy told me, he said, you ain't supposed to wear short sleeve shirts. So there I, I tried to just wear long sleeves then all the time. And you're supposed to wear, you got to cut your hair, man. Your hair's hanging over your ears. You can't have long hair, you know. Women, men got to have short hair. Women got to have long hair, you know. And, uh, and, and I remember, you know, it said that you, the Bible says shun the very appearance of evil. 
You got to be careful even when you sit in your car and you're drinking a soda. You might show the person next to you, you know, don't, don't think it's, you know, alcohol or something. I mean, it just, it just kept on. And, and I was trying to, trying to be right. I wanted to be accepted with God. And I wanted to be holy. And I, wanted, and, and I, I started hating church. No longer was there joy in me to go. I wasn't like David. I was glad when they said to me. I, I was mad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Got sick of all that. And a, and, a, and a woman outside our church called the house. It was just God. And, and she said this to me. She said, I had this dream about you, and I felt like I was to tell you this. The Lord said to tell you that I don't, and she said, I don't know what all you're trying to do here. But whatever you're trying to do, she had no idea what she was even saying. But the Lord told me to tell you that it's not of him. She said, it's not of him. And I, I took that word and I went on my knees before the Lord. And I mean, God blasted, echoed that so loud. He said, this is not of me. And as soon as I laid it all down and I decided at that moment forward, and I've had to learn a lot and I'm still learning, but I would never again to submit to the yoke and the burden and the religious rules of men, even if it was in my own denomination I was in at that time, which got me branded as a rebel. Because I'm not going to play your games no more. I'm going, I went and bought me some shorts. I started going back to the beach, which I dearly loved. And, and Jesus spent time at the beach. He spent more time at the beach than he hardly did anywhere else. So I started going back to the beach. I don't care if you think I'm going to hell or not. You ain't my judge. I'm going to the beach. And when I'm in the yard mowing, I'm going to take off my shirt. And I'm going to show the six-pack then. And now it's a keg. But I'm going to show the keg now. Because it's hot outside. And I'm not playing any of your religious games and I'm not trying to please you anyhow because I already am pleasing to God because I'm in Christ and he's pleasing to God. And so I'm trying to get people freed from this diabolical, demonic religion of performance-based relationship and get you fully in the grace and the peace of God and you just to be happy, go enjoy your life, Go to the beach, go to the mountains, go to Kroger's, go to Publix. I don't care where you go. Just be happy in God. Show people the love of God. Just smile because you've already been judged through Jesus as right with God. Live your life. Give that life to other people. Now listen to me. Do you think the message that comes from this pulpit, whether it's me or whomever, like Bishop the other day when I was my absent apostle uh, 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 preached Callaway, but do you, listen, I'm serious. Do you believe the message that comes out of this pulpit is valuable? Do you believe it's the truth? Yeah. Then how many people have you told about it? How many, I'm not trying, but listen, let's invite people. I mean, people are dying and starving for the grace of God. There's people that have given up on church and everything because they've been so bound and beat up by religion. They're tired of going to church and having the hell beat out of them, pardon me. They're tired of getting beat up. When you come to church, you need to be encouraged. This is my prayer almost every Sunday. Holy Spirit, help me that Jesus Christ may be glorified and that this church today may be edified, that you may be built up, that you may be comforted, that you may be strengthened in your walk with God, that God would get the glory. Amen. He loves you. World's doing good enough without anybody help on Sunday beating you up. When you come on Sunday, you need to be lifted up. You need to be encouraged. Courage needs to put in you. You need to be taught the grace of God and what he's done at the cross. That's my problem. I was never told fully what he'd done at the cross. But now my faith is in that. And I'm a happy Christian now for the first time in a long, long time. I mean, I'm really happy. I really do love him. I tell you, I wouldn't swap him for nothing. You hear what I'm saying? 
I mean, I'd kiss him in the mouth if he was right here where I could. I mean, I love my Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I love Jesus, and I want you to love him. And I want you to get all those trappings and all that stone out of the way and get off them grave clothes. Get some new clothes for Lazarus. Get some new clothes. New wine skin. New wine. Amen. Oh, it's so good. I can't hold a hush. If you want prayer, I'm going to cut you loose. If you want prayer, that's what they're standing here for. I'll be down here. I'd love to meet you. If you're new, you don't even want prayer. You just want to shake my hand and say howdy. You know, I'm standing down here, okay? Bye, church. Hey, you want prayer? You come this way while they dismissed. We love you. God bless.